Welcome to the Financial Insight Podcast, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast covering everything you need to know in the financial services industry. All material has been carefully checked for accuracy, but no responsibility can be accepted for inaccuracies. Wherever appropriate, independent research, and wherever necessary, legal advice should be sought before acting on any information contained in this podcast. The value of investments and income from them can go down as well as up. You may not get back the amount you originally invested. The Financial Insight Podcast is for investment professionals only. Thank you. Hello and welcome. Today we're going to be talking to Harry Hartfield from Addition Capital. Addition Capital is an EIS fund specialising in the experience economy. EIS, for those who don't know, stands for the Enterprise Investment Scheme. It started in 1994 and it's a series of tax reliefs and incentives for investors investing into small companies in the UK. Today we're going to be talking about Omicron and what that means for the hospitality and leisure industries in the UK and what that means for investors. So Harry, without further ado, would you mind introducing yourself? Uh, I'm Harry Hartfield. I'm one of the four partners of Edition Capital. Uh, I set up Edition with the other partners back in 2015 and we focus on investing into uh, the leisure and entertainment sectors. Uh, we've got a EIS fund uh, that's deployed just over £50 million into 30 plus companies across a really broad remit uh, of, of investments uh, from restaurants and bar routes, uh, music festivals, uh, through to uh, power distribution companies that support live events uh, and everything weird and wonderful in between. Um, basically, our, our big investment ethos is investing and backing businesses that benefit from the, the rise of the experience economy. Um, it's, it's worked really well for us uh, over the last 10, 15 years, and, and we think it will uh, further into the future. So why have you matched EIS with the experience economy? I think the, the principal reason we chose to use EIS, um, and it's not the only reason, is that as a, as a scheme, it was, it was very cleverly targeted at businesses that were young, that were entrepreneurial in spirit, that were, by the limitations, um, fairly new kids on the block. And for us, uh, when you look at what, what we're investing in, which is the experience economy, those, those tend to be businesses that fit those patterns. They tend to be fairly small. They tend to be um, bootstrapped startup businesses, um, often led by one or two founders who've had a great idea. Um, they might have got their first one or two sites away if they happen to be a, a restaurant or bar group. And, and they've got kind of a little bit stuck. Um, they've, they've reached that horrible equity gap where... They might have had family and friends who supported them with, you know, 50, 100,000 pounds to get them going. But now they need more. They need a million pounds or they need two or three or four million pounds. And, and that's difficult to get hold of because banks won't lend um, when you're a young business that might be loss making or might just have broken even. Um, and it's a sector that's relied heavily on kind of uh, IP ownership rather than bricks and mortar, which, again, makes it difficult to get bank lending. And actually, EIS really, really marries the two sectors really quite nicely. You've got a series of tax reliefs. Um, so you get, obviously, your, your income tax relief on the way in, which makes it a, a discounted price. But also, you've got downside risk mitigation um, if, if that company goes wrong. So all of a sudden, you've got an ability to link investors who, who have looked at the sector, who've said, yeah, I, I want to be a part of this. It's a huge part of the economy. 
um, you know, creative industries is a massive part of what we do really well as a country. Um, they want exposure to that, but they don't want to just back small companies chucking the money in without a professional fund that can sit around them. They don't want to do it without the, the reliefs that can make a good investment a great investment or a bad investment a not quite so bad investment. Um, so for us, it was, it was an absolutely natural marriage. And I think when we started to take this product to market um, back in 2015 and 2016, I think it, it, was, it was really obvious that there was an un, unsatisfied demand out there. There were a lot of EIS funds that are all targeting the same thing. They're doing a lot of tech investment, and that's, that's absolutely great. We need that. That's a huge part of the sector as well. But there was no one being the specialist within leisure and entertainment more broadly. Um, so I think, I think for us, it's a nice product. It works really well it satisfies what investors need and at the same time it really helps businesses grow so let's let's tackle the main issue you are investors into yep. experience economy and over the last two years um well as i understand it, experience economy you tend to have to be somewhere to experience something <laughs> uh, so uh, over the last two years we had covid and then over the last recent months um we're recording this uh on the 13th of january um, we've had Omicron. Now, it seems that we're coming out of that, but perhaps you could tell us a little bit about Omicron and maybe how that's affected the uh, the businesses that you've invested in. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, listen, uh, Omicron has been has been challenging over the last six to eight weeks. Um, and, and it's really, you know, for, for our portfolio, the, the hardest hit sectors when COVID came along as a whole were obviously hospitality, um, live events and kind of uh, competitive socialising because, as you said, uh, you need to actually go there to enjoy them. Um, it's it's much more difficult to do a socially distanced drink, as we all learnt when we had those Zoom drinks parties on Friday evenings during 2020. Uh, long may they be in the rearview mirror for all of us. Um, I think uh, Omicron as a, as a whole has been a bit of a double-edged sword uh, for hospitality uh, and for us as, as investors within the space. I mean, first and foremost, we don't want to see COVID around any more than anyone else does. Um, there was obviously a lot of nervousness back in early December, um, and it and it is it's challenging. December is a key period for the hospitality sector as a whole, um, and I think that might not have been grasped particularly quickly by um, some of the treasury and, and some of the government as a whole, how important that set, that time period can be, particularly for small businesses that might have one location, one site. They do depend on those big Christmas bookings. Um, so to, to suddenly go from a period where we had a stable uh, kind of delta wave sitting in the background, we knew it was there, it was, it was ongoing, but I think people were fairly comfortable to go out. And then all of a sudden we had the brakes very much applied. You know, the government changed its tone. It was very much stay at home if you can again, you know, work from home if you can. That puts a big dent in big Christmas bookings. Um, and, you know, you, you layer on top of the fact that the big difference for us, operationally speaking, between the Delta wave and the uh, Omicron wave was during Delta, you might have one staff member infected and they might infect one other member of staff. Um, so you'd, you'd seal off that particular part, you'd bring in reserve people, it's absolutely fine. With, with Omicron, we were finding one member of staff would go down and 80% of the staff would go down at the same time. Um, so you really, you know, it, that, that isolation problem that we're all facing and that the public sector is facing as well now is very, very acute within hospitality because you are working cheek by jowl with these people. 
Um, so it, it, you know, listen, from an operational perspective, it was challenging, uh, certainly at the peak of the wave. Um, we're obviously now peaking the wave up in the north of England, but obviously in the south it was earlier. Um, and it was expensive in terms of, of lost bookings. Um, actually, quite interestingly, a lot of bookings have shifted through to January and February now because people have made non-refundable deposits. They still want to go out and meet their friends afterwards. Um, you know, they've just shifted and decided to do a late Christmas. Um, we, for example, are doing our Christmas party, I think, in March, which will be later than we've ever done one before. Um, the, 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 the other side of, uh, of, of Omicron is, is that what I think it's really proven uh, to the sector as a whole is there is a lot less government support for non-pharmaceutical interventions of a, of a significant nature. Um, the big worry, and certainly when I was talking to other potential investors and other investment houses, when we're talking about hospitality and leisure is, let's see how we go through this winter. Let's see how we trade through this winter. There's still nervousness that come the winter wave, and we all knew there was going to be one in some way, shape or form, and we all go inside and spend time with each other. If we go back into lockdown again, it feels like that repeating pattern of every winter we're gonna go into lockdown, every summer we release, every winter we go into lockdown. And that makes it very challenging to budget, it makes it very challenging to make investments, and it makes it very challenging to, to sell those investments in the future. Um, I think now there is a real feeling within the sector that uh, unless something drastically changes, we are likely to go through future waves uh, by, not doing full lockdowns, but by using the antiviral drugs and, and booster campaigns to make sure that the economy keeps ticking. Um, and that's hugely beneficial. It allows people to really make investments and make plans for the future. Um, it's allowed us to green light lots of new venues because we can sit there and go, look, we know we're going to get 12 months trade. Yes, we might have some interruptions, but you might have interruptions anyway, um, non-COVID related. You know, we had a flood in one of the venues several years ago. That's not COVID related. Uh, we, we tried to open one new site and we, it was riddled with asbestos. That is definitely not COVID related. So you are always going to have business interruption. That's, that's part of the course. What we, what we now have is real confidence that um, uh, the worst of, of COVID is now in the rearview mirror. Um, and that's 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 massive for us as a sector and investors. I completely agree. It does seem to be the direction of travel that we're not going to go back into lockdowns again. We have the booster campaign, we have the vaccines, and with Omicron, we're also going to have a lot of natural immunity. The the big difference for me was up until this last wave, if you ask the public, when you looked at a lot of the the polling data from the public. They were all saying we want more restrictions, not less. Um, and the government was consistently behind the curve when it came to the, the, the levels of restrictions. There was a big sea change with this wave and, and they didn't want to see pubs and restaurants and clubs shut necessarily. And that sea change means it's very difficult for the government to battle both their own internal um, libertarian views and secondly, the demand from the British public. So I think, I think for all of us, I mean, look, for, for God, for everyone's mental health, the ability to go out and see friends openly is a vast improvement over last year where, you know, there was, there was nothing weirder than going for a walk in the park and seeing people walking in, in twos, kind of little rows behind each other because they're all pretending they're not in one group of eight. They're just walking in, in fours and every now and again, it all switched around again. So listen, it's, 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 it's a big difference. It's a big change. I think it's, I think it's a real positive for us. So let's dive right in. Are there any opportunities that Omicron oh, has 
thrown up for addition capital or um and then maybe we could look more broadly as coronavirus as the pandemic era presented any opportunities for investors looking at the experienced economy i mean i think when you look at the opportunities the direct opportunities from moment, i i don't think there are um as many as as covid as a whole um i think i think really for us the big advantage is the knowing that we're not going back into a full lockdown um, that allows you to make uh, business investments and, and capital investments that you might otherwise have held back because you just don't know where your working capital requirements are going to be. So that that for us frees up a lot of capital that would have been tied up as, as kind of dead money within our portfolio. Um, and I think that's probably true across uh, the broader sector as a whole. There, there will be a wave of new investment activity undertaken. I think the the other advantage, um, and it's a bit more of a mercenary approach, and uh, this one is, it will have done damage to to some operators, um, some of the, particularly some of the weaker ones who have been, you know, there there are a lot of zombie companies out there right now who have been relying on Sybil's loans and the furlough scheme to keep them going, to keep just keep them alive. The rent moratorium, obviously, within our sector, has meant that there's a lot of landlords who haven't been paid for a long time. And I think this might be the final nail in the coffin for some of those, those operators. The, you know, the, the, the billion pound sticking plaster from the government is not going to prop up those businesses for very long at all. So I think what, what, what we're going to see is a bit of a, a clearing of the forest. Uh, we're going to lose a lot of dead woods and that's going to give some great new growth opportunities, some great new venues, some good new operators who've, who've been more nimble, who've been more agile. Um, and I, you know, and that's true of, of COVID as a whole. And I think, you know, when you look at what the big advantage is for for the hospitality and leisure sector as a whole, um, one has been the, the much faster and much greater um, kind of uptake of digital services within leisure and hospitality. We've seen a lot of pivoting uh, towards that and kind of uh, online and, and immersive activation, which I think is likely to hear to to be here in the long run, um, particularly when you've got things like you might have been doing um, corporate away days and now you've got a, a kind of a virtual team um, who you might only see once a month. I think you're going to see a lot more kind of virtual interaction and, and that needs curating. You can't just expect someone to sit on Zoom for eight hours and, and listen to someone like me drone on and on and on at them. Um, but I think if you look at the, if you look at it from a, a much more bricks and mortar play, the, the big shift, the big sea change we've seen is the massive shift in relationship between landlord and tenant. Um, and, and I've talked about this at, at, at quite some length before and said, when we came into this, it was, it was very much a one-sided affair. Um, you had landlords who would offer you a 20-year lease outside of the Act, uh, upward only five-year rent reviews, and uh, that was very much it. If you didn't pay, you were out on your ear. And I think what landlords have realised, particularly ones that are, you know, the bigger operators, the, the you know, the, uh, the land sec, the British land, the Shaftesbury, whatever, whichever ones you want to look at, they have all realised that they're selling mixed use developments. They need mixed uh, occupiers in there. They need to curate. They need to, to make sure they've got the right blend. And that means uh, going into partnership with people. It means starting to do, you know, proper landlord capex contribution. It means putting in rent deals that are part uh, part fixed rent and part turnover rent as well. 
Um, and that's 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 really big and really important for us because I think I think it allows growing chains and growing groups of businesses that might only have three, four, or five that have good cultural cachet to to start to compete on, on level playing fields with the likes of a, a Pret-a-Manger or a you know a KFC because it's not any longer just about how good you know how good you are at paying the rent it's, it's about what you represent and, and whether you fit part of the wider development so that I think is really important and I think is part of a bigger trend I think people want um, authenticity in what they're doing and what they're experiencing um, and and smaller more boutique chains and, and more boutique experiences are going to be the way that we go with um, entertainment post-COVID. So a lot of these trends are, are something I think we hoped we'd see and, and we'd certainly been putting a lot of money into uh, supporting because look, we saw what happened with burgers um, where all of a sudden every corner had a, a, a Byron or a gourmet burger kitchen and you couldn't move for them. And, and there was a lot of money poured into those kind of uh, mid-market chain restaurants. We just thought, that's not where the sector's going. It's going little groups. It's going different family kind of neighborhood feel. And that's what people want. They want to feel like they're part of something when they go in somewhere. They want to feel like they've got a local. Um, and I just think COVID's really, really accelerating a lot of the trends that were already there. Um, so, yeah, it's for me, the opportunities that come out of COVID as a whole, not, not necessarily out of, out of Omicron, um, which I think has been, as I said, a bit of a mixed bag uh, for the sector. Harry, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today.